Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we have a very special episode. We, we are going to be interviewing our first nun ever. Well, not a nun, a religious sister. And we're going to explain the difference between what a nun and a religious sister is. We're also going to be talking with Sister Tanya Borsellino about uh, the discernment process and why a young woman would want to become a religious sister. And as you can see, we don't have Father Pagano with us this episode. So let's take it away. This is a this is a show of first, right? We have a, our first religious sister. Welcome, Sister Tanya Borsellino of the Mercedarian Sisters in Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome. Thank you so um, much. And and it's also our first episode without Father Pagano. It is uh, we are we are filming this on his birthday, and so <laughs> we have given him reprieve from his duties here. And uh, but but it's going to be okay. We've got a really great show lined up for you today. All right. So yeah, sister, thanks so much for, for joining us. And, um, you know, we've known each other for a couple of years here. Uh, you know, Ryan and I work with the Mercedarian sisters of the blessed sacrament. Um, one of my, if there's anything in all of the Catholic faith that I have the, the softest spot in my heart for it's religious sisters. I absolutely love religious sisters. They've been so, um, impactful in my life from, from being very young and being educated by, religious sisters to having aunts and great aunts who are uh, cloister nuns or religious sisters. Um, everywhere I go, I gravitate to them and it's because they're, they're so joyful. They pro provide so much to the church and we haven't had a chance to talk to uh, our audience uh, about that. So be willing to take that opportunity and explore that a little bit. So sister, uh, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Sister Tony Borsellino, like the Ryans introduced, and I'm what's called a novice. So I'm not even, like, I haven't professed yet. Uh, God willing, on August 15th, I will be professing my first vows. But Which I have the invitation to. <laughs> this is a hard ticket to come by, and I have one. <laughs> so it will be hopefully live streamed just with the situation right now with this pandemic and everything. Um, but I'm a novice, so I'm still learning about what it means to be a sister. I'm in formation, taking classes on religious life, taking classes on theology at the local seminary. Uh, I originally came from Florida. So our formation house for the Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament in the U.S. is in Cleveland, Ohio. So I had to travel from warm, sunny Florida to cold Cleveland. But the summers are very nice here, I have to admit. And yeah, God has just done wonders in my life. I graduated college and entered with the community, and we could get more into that a little later. But that's a little bit about my background. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll say, uh, just as uh, somebody who's experienced and, and uh, loves the gift of joy that our Lord gives us, that um, you guys definitely are overflowing with abundance and joy as a uh, religious order. Uh, we went there and had dinner with you guys and played a few games, and I just didn't want to leave. I was like, this is just too much fun. <laughs> so, yeah, so thanks for your witness uh, there and also all the other sisters. So. So yeah, so novice. So let's let's talk about this. So the process of quote unquote becoming a nun, a nun would be somebody who's well, already let's, confessed let's, their vows. Hold on, let's before we get into that. Now yeah. we're gonna use this term interchangeably throughout the episode because it's habit. But there is habit, oh, there's the double entendre. <laughs> the now, there's there's a distinction. So a religious sister is different than a nun. A nun is traditionally cloistered, like um, like the Carmelites. Um, where they have a different charism, where their charism is behind a cloister praying kind of uh, incessantly. Whereas a religious sister has those same aspects, but they're also part of the community. Um, and that, that's a, the main distinction between a religious sister and a nun. So nuns are religious sisters, but they're nuns. Whereas religious sisters are not nuns because they don't have the same, uh, I guess, I just, duties or I charism. I just learned something today. I just learned something today. That's why we're doing this episode, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially before entering, I always got like, oh, so you're going to be a nun? And I was like, yes, kind of, but wait, they're different things. And like, I'm not going away forever, you know, like, you'll, you'll still gotcha. be able to 
see me and yeah 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 well, that's that's an interesting distinction because um a nun would be somebody who is is experiencing a, a particular charism in the church and their discernment um and they're going towards that that particular expression of their yes. um their their uh, marriage to the lord if you will mm -hmm. that's great that's great so all right so i i think in the personally i feel like in the last 15 20 years there's been a surge in religious sisters across the board uh, in terms of, you know, seeing a lot of young women come into uh, the religious life or discern it. Um, there's a lot of uh, really awesome, uh, you know, convents out there. There's a lot of awesome religious uh, organizations, religious sister organizations. Um, so tell us like what personally goes on uh, with you in terms, in terms of like, going into discernment like how did that happen did it happen through meeting some of these religious sisters at uh, the mercedarians or did it happen through prayer both like can you give us an idea of your personal journey like spiritually before you entered into the seminary or the uh, excuse me the the convent it was a little bit of everything i really have to credit the campus ministry at the university of florida the catholic gators they uh, a culture of discernment there so prior to college I had no idea that I could become a sister like it just wasn't on my radar my family only talked about marriage that was my dream to get married have a family and then I get to college I was uh, studying something that I never thought I would study before I was on my own for the first time I just had you know the world at my fingertips and I kind of saw I dipped my toes in the world of like the college experience, what you think that would be like. And I just felt so empty. Like I didn't, um, there was no fulfillment there. And my mom kept pushing me, both my parents kept pushing me to go to the Catholic student center and get involved there. And so I went, I was like, okay, mom, fine, I'll go. And I met the most genuine people I've ever met in my life before. They didn't care about what they could get out of me. They, um, they were so on fire with love for Jesus. That's like, this is incredible. Like, I want this, I wanna be like them. You know, they were so whole and filled. And I started getting more involved. And the more that I tried getting involved on campus, things just weren't working out. Doors were closing, I wasn't getting opportunities. Um, and at the same time, opportunities were opening up at the student center and I was getting leadership roles and I started praying more and learning about prayer in all these different ways. And there was just a culture of discernment. And my friends started asking me, have you discerned religious life? And I was like, what, like, what does that mean? They're like, have you thought about becoming a sister? And I was like, that can happen? Like, I, I just, my whole, mind was blown. And uh, I just started asking God that every day in prayer, like, do you want me to be a sister? Do you want me to be a sister? Um, to the point where, you know, like, I just wanted control of the situation. But God was like, like, take it easy. Like, just let me love you. And I really had to let his love in to form a relationship with Jesus in prayer to, to learn what it meant to, to receive his love, to know that I didn't have to, um, like work at his love or work for his love that all vocations are holy because there's even the misconception that like religious life you know you're only holy if you're a sister um but no like marriage and religious life are both holy vocations um i just had a lot to learn and at the same time get my degree and uh grow as a person and so it got to be senior year in college um and i had no idea what god wanted of me going forward i had a job opportunity with a catholic news agency and i was kind of like jesus like what do you want and he he answered it big time <laughs> He showed me definitely in prayer. Uh, I was one day before mass and I was just praying. Um, and Jesus was like, I want you to start thinking about religious life again. And I was like, nope, sorry, Jesus. Like I'm going to Colorado. I'm going to go work. Besides like none of the sisters I've been in contact with have contacted me. And I got home that night and I had a missed voicemail and I was like, nobody called me. It was mother Jeanette, our vocations director here with the Mercedes. Love mother Jeanette so much. Yes. And she called me at the exact time that I had been praying that before mass. And wow. I just knew my heart, just like everything, my stomach dropped. I like, I knew that something was 
changing. And then I came and I visited and I just saw the, the joy and um, what religious life really was like and all the misconceptions, you know, were just destroyed. Yeah. So what, like, what type of, I mean, I, I, I definitely uh, understand, especially in college, like, you know, the emptiness that one could feel there on campus and, you know, thank God for the grace of you experiencing that, you know, even though it was something that uh, was probably not very comfortable, it did move you in a direction where, you know, you found a home in your, in, in your faith family, in the church, uh, to allow this to happen. I think that's a very important thing for a young lady to know is that, you know, if you do, or if you are open to God's will that, you know, moving into the church and being a part of a community, there is a, probably a great first step for anyone, right? I mean, so, so there's that, that when you got to the convent, is, am I saying that right? Is it the convent? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, all right. So like, so you, you did this, you jumped in, right? You get there. Um, you're experiencing this life that these women are living. What, where was God and all that? What did you see in this convent that drew you even deeper into like thinking that you could be a, a religious sister? I didn't say none. <laughs> you almost I'm learning. Um, everything. Like God, he just started speaking to me in prayer. So in the prayer life of the community and the liturgy of the hours, which is the, um, the times of prayer throughout the day. Yeah. And then during mass, like I, I was just receiving in an overwhelming way, his love. And you really need that as you're transitioning to this new state of life. Everything is new, you know, yeah. um, everything you knew of life is, is changing. And same thing with marriage. When you, uh, when a husband and wife become one, like you have to learn a new way of doing things. You're um, in a new family. All of this is different. So like you really need to receive God's love and he just, he just pours it in. And so I was just um, receiving his his word, you know, we pray with scripture every day. We do 30 minutes of Lexio Divina. So really just sitting down and encountering him through that. And then encountering him in classes, encountering him in mass, receiving him in the Eucharist, um, praying before him in the blessed sacrament every day for an hour. We do that here with our community, wow. just really being filled with his love that, um, that allows us to, to know of God's love that leads us deeper. You know, he leads us into the desert to form us, but not without an encounter first. So like we, I was just so filled with his love when I first entered and he was just showing me it in so many different ways, confirming that this is where he was calling me and that I was, um, I was being led and like I was safe. And that was very um, confirming, consoling. It was yeah. good. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever actually stopped over at the convent and visited the sisters without interrupting them during um, adoration every time. And I always feel so bad. And I always try to like, I'm like, okay, I try to schedule around the hours. And every time they're like, come on, man, we're just finishing praying. And then I have, I'm like, ah, every time I do that. So, but that is one of the charisms of the Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, which is uh, your order. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Mercedarians and what specifically about their charism maybe attracted you to them over, say, the Dominicans or uh, one of the other and, religious and, women's orders? And what a charism is. Yeah. Like that's kind of, is that like the charism oil? Charism oil? <laughs> no, so a oh, it comes from the same root, but... Okay. <laughs> a charism is kind of the spirituality of the community. So you have a charism and an apostolate. Uh, apostolate. Apostolate is what they do. So you see sisters who teach, sisters who feed the poor, um, help the homeless. That's their apostolate. That's their kind of um, their work. Mission, right? Their work. Yeah. Now the charism is more so the spirituality of the community. So the Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament were part of the Greater Mercedarian family. So the Mercedarian Friars were founded in 1218 in Spain. Our Lady of Mercy appeared to St. Peter in Alaska and asked him to redeem the Christian captives. Um, so they would like find monetary means to redeem Christians who were being held captive. And when all the monetary means, um, they didn't have any more money to save the captives, they would give of their life. So they took a fourth vow to redeem Christians. Now, fast forward to 1910 in Mexico City, our mother foundress, Venerable Maria de Refugio, as a matter of fact, there she is. 
Um, <laughs> she's right there. Uh, she, <laughs> she felt called to um, begin this community of redeeming captives, but through the Eucharist. So I, she like began it through redeeming, um, educating young women. So through schools, um, educating young women so that they would know that God is at the center of everything. They wouldn't lose their faith. This was a time of Christian persecution in Mexico. Um, so she really just felt that the, there is a poverty among the youth of, um, and society that God is, you know, missing. And so she, you know, receive this, this spirituality to um, educate. And, you know, how do you build a solid foundation in a society is you educate the people. So she was educating young women um, and having them find that God is at the center of everything, at the center of sciences, math, everything. And um, a Mercedarian priest was sent to kind of check out our community because there were a lot of teaching orders at the time. And the bishop, you know, wanted to know why another teaching uh, community. So a Mercedarian priest was sent, and he said, no, these sisters are different. They're not just teaching. Teaching is a means to bring the young people to know Jesus in the Eucharist and to, to redeem them. And our mother foundress at the same time saw that redemption aspect of the Mercedarians and how they gave of their life physically, and she said, that's what we're doing spiritually, but in the Eucharist. So she wanted to be um, take on the name of Mercedarian, and so we became Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. And we're all about just bringing people to know the love of Jesus in the Eucharist and through that redeeming their captivity. So first we need to become one with Jesus in the Eucharist. We need to become Eucharist. And through that, we can bring others to um, Jesus in the Eucharist. And so you were talking about spirituality and uh, charism and knowing which one is right for you. And God really, I mean, he has given us the charism from our birth. So it's like, it's not a puzzle that we have to try and figure out. Discernment is not like this, like, um, I, I need to figure this out, you know? No, like God is leading us to where he wants us. And the aspect of the Mercedarians and saving souls, like at the Catholic Gators, their whole mission there, Mission 10,000, is to bring the campus to Christ and Christ to the campus. And so they bring people to Eucharistic adoration and they have nights of praise and worship adoration and invite people into the church and everything is centered around the Eucharist. And so when I was looking at different communities, um, first off, the Mercedarians were like right in front of me. They opened a, a house in Gainesville, Florida. And so they were like right there, but I was like, I had all these ideas about religious life and where I wanted to go and serve and everything. And I had to learn it's about um, being and not doing. And so I what, was what like, do you mean by that? By being, not doing. Right. It's not about, our lives aren't about what we do. You know, we, our worth is not in our jobs. Our worth is not in um, what we can achieve, but it's in the fact that we're children of God. Like that is our ultimate worth. And so it's, it's about just who we are, just our essence of being, you know, that's worth in itself. And like, um, and discerning, it's important for a young woman to look at a community, not for what they do, um, but for who they are. So I'm, I don't consider myself a teacher. Of, like I never thought I would teach in a classroom, um, but the spirituality of bringing Jesus in the Eucharist to the world and making reparation for the world. Yeah, like that is completely me. And I, I wanna live on fire for Jesus in the Eucharist. And so like that, should be the guiding light. And through that, Jesus will bring me wherever I need to go um, and whatever he wants me to do. Like, it's not limited to, you know, teaching. Gotcha. You know, so many people, so many people when they're growing up, people will ask them, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or parents will ask their son or their daughter, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think everyone, what they really want to be is happy when they grow up, right? That's what they are, not what they do. They want to be happy. And so often uh, people will dismiss, you know, young women will dismiss the idea of discerning uh, a vocation to the religious life just out of hand because they don't, society doesn't tell them that, that is a place where you'll be happy. But I've seen more fully, truly alive, happy women um, in the convents and in the religious orders 
than I could say in any other sort of profession out there. Uh, it is a true fulfillment of a person in their totality. And it doesn't put the limits on you uh, as, a, as a woman that you're, you're tied to either your achievements or to some uh, external factor. It's about who you are as a person in relationship to your creation under God. And I think that is the, the holist view of a person you can have. And in my opinion, that's why religious yeah. sisters and brothers and priests and nuns are all, you know, they have that joy in them that the world lacks. Right. And the, the other thing too is, is uh, the Eucharist is, I mean, it, you know, it's the source and summit of our faith. It's, you know, cutting through all of what the church has done and offered throughout the centuries. And, and it's focusing in on the, the sacrament of sacraments where you unite yourself to Jesus. And in that you experience that adoption, you experience this peace, you experience the conversion of heart where it's not what you do. It's just being, allowing him to graft himself into you to, to minister to the people around you and yourself. And so like, you know, I had a Eucharistic conversion. I went on a retreat and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know this was God. Like, wow, I've been looking for you my whole life. Like, this is rock my world. Right. And I ended up going to the seminary, but at the same time, you know, the distinction that you made of, I just want to bring people to the Eucharist. Like my charism is, is this. And then the, the means by which you do is almost a secondary thing. It's not the discernment process is, yeah. I mean, if you were, you know, jumping out of planes or something like that, that would be one thing. But if it's like, Hey, we're going to teach you carry that Eucharistic heart, that Eucharistic spirituality into everything that you do. And that is anointed in and of itself. And it, it's going to bring people to Christ. Like, and, and by you dying to the world and all these other things that you could occupy yourself with and many, many times meaningful, the, the, the complete abandonment to, to Christ in, in the life that you're living, I, I think there's a, a differentiator there with the, when you look at, you know, me as a father of now seven kids, I've got a little religious order in my house, right? Oh. It's not as pretty as pretty chaotic. you guys are you doing. Guys need the, you guys need the rule of St. Benedict in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not, but you know, like, like I was just telling one of my sons yesterday, I'm like, if, if I could just teach you anything, it's that receiving Christ in the Eucharist and doing it worthily will completely change your life and it'll make you whole and happy and you'll live a life full of meaning. So I say that to my kids, I mean, it's not at school, but you know, you look at it and, and just the, the way that you've abandoned yourself from, you know, you have given up family, you have given up a lot of these things and, and your focus spiritually is just bringing Christ to people in the Eucharist. Like, that's amazing. I think it's also anointed and people are going to be changed by it, you know, just by living that life. You know, I've taken, I've taken my daughter out to meet you, uh, sister. And then I also take her out to meet your uh, sisters from other misters out on the East side, the, um, at Christ the East bride. Side <laughs> well, yeah, well, no, no, there's, it's the, they're Byzantine nuns on the East side of Cleveland oh, and yeah. the Latin nuns on the West side. And I take my daughter out there and not to push a discernment on her, but to say, I want you to be happy when you grow up, whatever that means. I want you to be happy and faithful. And these are the happiest people I know. And this is what I want you to see. Now it doesn't mean you have to do the same thing as them, or maybe it does, but look at how they live fulfilled simply without a desire for want at all times. These people are happier than any of the other things that people are showing you as past the happiness. Cause it's not in money. It's not in acclaim. It's not in fame. It's not in success that, that those things will never make a person happy. So, you know, to me, that's why I, I want to introduce her to this, to this life, because this is a true fulfillment and happiness. And it's, it, it's, um, it's amazing to see. If you're called to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, I can't imagine, you know, being more fulfilled if you're right where God puts you and, you know, you're close and unite with them in prayer, you know? Now, no, we went in kind of loops a little bit. Now we started off by saying, well, you're a novice. What does that mean? Right. And we haven't gotten back to that question. So I didn't want to yeah. forget that. So explain now, if you would, please, uh, what being a novice means and what the steps are in discernment to coming uh, to becoming a religious sister. So being a novice means that I'm, I'm new, you know, like I'm learning. So it kind of differs with every community, but the, the kind of outline for 
the formation of religious is you become an aspirant. So you're aspiring to uh, join a community and then you enter, that could take like six months, a year, depending on the community. And then you become a postulant. So you start uh, living with the community. In our community, you still have hair and <laughs> you're kind of just seeing like, okay, God, is this where you, you're you calling me to be? Um, let me see if I can actually do this life, like live this life day to day. And then uh, with our community, that's a year. Different communities, it might be a year or two years. And then you enter novitiate. So with our community, there is a haircutting ceremony, our novitiate, our entrance to novitiate ceremony, where we, um, our hair is cut and we receive the white veil and uh, we become Which novice. I need that bite now, by the way. You I cut. need to enter a novitiate because I need a haircut pretty bad. Yes, you do. I cut mine recently. It's liberty. Oh yeah, you cut yours with a um, power tool. Yeah. Oh, the guy will cut your hairs with a power tool, which I yeah. thought he was going to cut your head off, uh, to be honest, but, but sorry, sister. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so like what when you say cut your hair, what what are you talking about? I see a little hair peeking out over there. <laughs> so our hair was uh, put into for those of us who wanted to donate our hair, our hair was put into like a a ponytail and then it was like put cut. here and then just Okay. Cut off. All right, so you got short hair, not no hair. Right. Okay, I just wanted to make clear that, that that's the case <laughs> also, like, everything is a symbol of the fact that we are are leaving behind you know we're giving our, even our beauty to god yeah, that we are yeah. for god alone that god is enough like we were saying before you know happiness is not in power pleasure uh, money any of that because all of those things are changing and so when they change we become anxious we're we're always fearful because we we want those things to be steady but mm -hmm. God is steady and God is all of those things. He is where we find joy and pleasure and like anything, you know, our wealth is in the Lord. He, he provides everything we need because he's a good father. So this is just another um, like example of the fact of like, I'm, I'm living, I'm giving everything to God. God is enough. And so as a novice, then we, um, we start learning more about the community, the history of religious life, the history of our community. We um, asked to be tested. So in the entrance to novitiate, we actually asked for our vocation to be tested. God, like, show me, is this really your call for me? Um, let it be tested and purified. And he tests and purifies it for sure. <laughs> um, but so that you that's know. Like, like in, that's like in the Our Father, where there's kind of a, a lot of people you'll hear say, well, it doesn't really make sense. The Lord doesn't lead us into temptation. Um, where, you know, lead us not into temptation. But there's times where God allows us to be put to the test for our own benefit. Is that maybe something similar to that you're allowing your discernment to be put to the test? Like almost praying, Lord, put a, lead us into temptation or put us to the test. And faith is purified in suffering. So it's not that God desires us to suffer. You know, we don't need to get into like the problem of all of that. But um, just the fact of like our, our love when it's tested becomes truer and even i'm sure you can see that in your marriages when you go through trials your love you have to see that you have to come out of yourself to love that loving is a decision that you have to make every single day and it's not just a feeling and like you learn all of these things you wouldn't learn all these things if everything was la 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 la, la good all the time you know no like god um he wants to bring us to a mature faith to know him for who he is and not our ideas of him. Like, just like we desire to be known and loved um, and cared for. And that requires, you know, a, a gift of ourselves and laying down our lives every day. So we, we learn, we begin to learn that in the novitiate so that when we're professing our vows for the first time publicly on the altar, that we know what we're professing. We know what the vows are that we're taking and it's not, um, we're not oblivious to any of it. Wow, that's so amazing point. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about my uh, my wife and I when when we were uh, when I was courting her for marriage, and we had this like real you know head bang you know like argument, and we split split ways and and you know we talked and, and it's like you know this is this is like the sign of our discernment here. Are we going to you know be agitated to the point where this is not something we want or do we want to do we want to just 
love each other through what just happened, you know? And that, that was very significant for us in our discernment process is that, wow, this created a stronger bond between us, the two of us, you know? And so I can imagine like your discernment process too, you know, you go through, through some things there and, you know, it's like, what am I going to do? I want to have faith and I'm going to keep going or this is, this isn't it, you know, you but it's important to, trust, to be strong. Huh? Right? You learn to trust. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So sister, you have your profession coming up um, on August 15th. And this is probably gonna be a little bit different than most professions throughout the years. Um, and I think we all know reasons for that, but I think the Mercedarians have some very um, real life experience with COVID-19. Um, that coronavirus ran through your convent, isn't that true? Yes, so here in Cleveland, Ohio, all of our sisters ended up getting the virus and also our priests. And at the time, it was actually Holy Week. Um, so it was a, a crazy Holy Week where we definitely entered into the Paschal mystery. But all, every, every sister had it? Yes, at the time we didn't know. The only three sisters were showing severe symptoms. So they immediately isolated. And then the rest of us were serving like I the second year of novitiate was all um we were supposed to like you know have more apostolic things and not so on top of our studies and I learned what it really means to serve and that it doesn't mean like going out and giving talks but it means like caring for those right next to you um and just being there for our sisters and you know giving them all that they needed to to be better and then trusting in Jesus like I've never trusted in him before with the future, with um, the next moment of just learning that, you know, he really is taking care of us at every single moment. Um, we had one of our Mercedarian priests actually passed away. He was elderly. So please pray for the soul, uh, the repose of the soul of Father Archangelo. But um, thanks be to God, all of our sisters, we are recovered, recovering, um, still dealing with some side effects. But now that we've, we've, you know, gone through this, like we're able to also minister to people better and share with them what we did, um, how prayer was first and foremost the center of it all, and then all the the remedies and things that we did to kind of, you know, keep our bodies healthy and going. And so now looking towards profession, it's just once again of like, I'm not in control. God's in control. He always has been in control. So just trusting in him that, you know, whatever he desires for this, like, the whole point of it is for me to marry him. And um, that, that at the end of the day is the most important thing. And as much as, you know, I might desire my wedding to be all of these different things, like God knows what's going to bring the ultimate joy. And that's like a reflection of this whole um, time of formation. Like I had all these ideas of what religious life would be like, or what I was supposed to be doing or, um, but God, she showed me and like, he knows what is, what is best. And I've, I've really, like, I've learned that. And now I'm, I'm continuing to, to learn how to trust in that. That's yeah. So on August 15th, then you'll be making your, your, your profession of vows. How will that be different because of coronavirus? And um, what will that, how will that experience be changed because of it? We really don't know at this point just because everything is quickly changing. Like first we thought there wouldn't be able to be anybody there. And then the virus kind of, you know, things were settling down, everything was looking better. So we were like, oh, like I'm, I'm professing with um, my co-novice sister Raquel. And so we were like, oh, our families could come. Um, but now it's like things are taking a turn again. And so we, we just don't know what is going to happen. And so we're just, gonna take it one day at a time and see but we, all we know is that on that day that we are going to be becoming one with Jesus and you know hopefully our, our families could be with us and all of our friends could be with us if not physically then through live stream um, but whatever it is like it's still it's still happening like the most mm -hmm. important thing yeah that had to be pretty scary though having having that in in a community you guys all share one you know, one house and how many were, how many sisters were in the Cleveland convent at the time when that was running through there? Eight of us, including Eight. one elderly sister. Yeah. And, and then all, everyone got it. And I mean, how that, wow, I can only imagine, you know, that it runs through and you're all trying to take care of each other. And 
And I mean, everything that's going through your own head, you know, it's all, it's, it really is just about like, that's when we were talking about community life. And that's when I just saw the gift of community life, because I mean, if you're just by yourself, all these thoughts can just take control and, you know, the fears of, of death, of um, suffering, of all of this stuff. But then to have your sisters, like, to carry you, to, to bear the burdens for you also, to, to help each other, to, to care for each other, like, it was just, yeah, because you just have no idea. You, you see how much you're not in control of your own life, and that's truth. Like, we just saw it in a very, very real way. But that's the, that's the reality all the time. And so we can think that when all of this is over that, oh, we have control over our lives and oh, I can plan for, you know, this event that's going to happen or whatever. But we don't know. And to be okay with that unknown, to be okay with the fact that God is always in control, to trust in him, like that's where our joy is found because we're taken care of. Like I said before, he's a good, good father. And like, God is like, listen, you're, you're having a more difficult time trying to figure it out yourself. When I'm here, I know all the hairs on your head. Um, I know how to provide for you. All you have to do is just like, let me. Yeah. This is just a very real situation showing us. And it honestly is such a merciful act. Um, once again, not that God desires, you know, um, this, this, you know, suffering, but in it, like his mercy shows, you know, in the cross, his mercy, his redemption is there in the suffering, like in the horrible event, um, his, his glory is revealed. And so in this, like, I'm seeing, you know, the truth of our, of our lives. And like, that has been definitely revealed to all of our sisters. And like, we're each still processing everything that happened. Um, but were were you one of the sisters who had symptoms or what were your symptoms like? So three of our sisters had severe symptoms, meaning like fever, that they had trouble breathing, all of that. Um, some of us had like headaches, uh, body aches, but we just didn't know that it was the virus. Um, we thought it was stress and that was also like a hidden gift because we just kept going. Like um, we just kept serving, kept cleaning, kept up with our routine. So you didn't even realize it at the time until afterwards, until you were mostly on until the mend? Until we got an antibodies test. All of us went for an antibodies test and we all had antibodies. Wow. So sister, when you make your vows, do you get a ring and everything? Uh, is that, do the Mercedarians do that? I know some other religious, uh, women's religious orders, it's essentially you're getting married to the church, you're getting married to Jesus as the divine spouse. Is that similar with the Mercedarians? So I will be receiving a black veil and that's to represent not only like um, a death to myself, but being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit like Mary was. And then uh, we have a white rim here to show that we're still learning. We're always learning. And so I will be receiving that upon profession with the habit of our sisters. It kind of looks a little different from our novitiate habit. And then at life profession or final profession a few years after that that's when we receive um a ring so there's like some puts a ring on it yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you you got a you got a first profession and then a second profession or like is that yeah that's the first public the first public profession profession is coming up and then we renew our vows every year um for like it could be like three to six years around there, six to nine around there. Um, and then depending on, you know, your discernment and the discernment of the superiors, and then we can do our life profession. So we don't necessarily, um, that's like, you know, for life, but going into the first profession, it's like, I'm professing for life. You know, this is, this is it. Like, I'm not, I'm not thinking, okay, in a year, maybe Jesus, I don't know. Like, no, like I'm making a commitment to you today. And yes, I will renew it every year. But like my commitment right now is for life. Wow. That's beautiful. What are some of the, the, um, you know, I know, I know you guys probably uh, get a lot of young women that come to you and they just want to, you know, get started like you in a novitiate. Like, what are you seeing out there? Are they mostly younger women? Um, is it kind of all over the place? Are you seeing anything with your particular religious order where, you know, certain women are drawn to you like after college or 
you know, coming out of a certain occupation. Is there any, like, anything there, you know? And the Mercedarians yes. are growing quickly, too, so this is important. They are. Learn. Yeah. Yes, rolling, we'll be having uh, around four in the next year so far that are entering with us. And just seeing that, I mean, we're seeing that the things of the world are not satisfying. And um, not to say that that that's a reason to come to religious life, but there's an emptiness there that like, okay, the things of the world are not satisfying. What satisfies me? God satisfies me. So they're coming and they're discerning and they're seeing, you know, maybe this is a life that God is calling me to. And through prayer, like um, they're, they're just desiring truth and God is truth. And we're getting a lot of young women um, in college, a uh, little after college, like upon graduation coming to enter and just searching and wanting to, to discern and ask God, is this what your, your will is for me? What, I can only imagine how many deeply unhappy people there are out there who had the world not convinced and beat into them otherwise would have been perfectly happy and fulfilled in a religious order. Um, who will walk around their whole life completely unfulfilled and incomplete because they didn't go through with that. I got to imagine there's so many. So that's why when there's the opportunity to really discern it, um, it's really important to take that. Um, and with so many young women, like you said, uh, getting out of college and finding that the world is not for them, but then saying, well, can a religious life be something that is right for me? That's an option that I think more women should have on the table, more young men, more people should make sure that that's something that everyone discerns in their lifetime, if they even have the inkling of it. And just asking the question, you know, um, giving it a thought, it's like, no one wants regrets in their life. Um, but at the same time, the love and mercy of God, he he's not going to hold it against you if you don't become a sister and that's where you're called to or whatever. That's not how God works. God pours out his infinite love upon you, no matter which vocation you, you know, end up choosing, but it's just about that, that relationship with God. And it's like, is it answering it? You know? Um, yeah, I'm just, I've just been in awe of God's love and mercy that even in discerning here, like I've had some questions of God, is this, you know, where you're really calling me. And I've learned that even if I were to be out in the world, um, like God wouldn't, he just wants that intimacy with me, that relationship with me. Um, he wouldn't hold anything against me, but it's important for me. Like if this is what he's calling me to do to, you know, trust him enough to go the next step. You know, uh, God, Brian. I was, I was going to say, what, what kind of advice would you give a young lady like in, in a situation like in college or, you know, that's out there that's, this is all very foreign to them. Like what, what kind of advice, I'm sure you've probably given a lot of young women advice, but what, what, what would you say to some of our listeners who may have a daughter or, you know, might be in college and just never even, this never even crossed their mind that this would be a path to holiness and happiness? To not be afraid, first of all. I mean, there's so many misconceptions, uh, false ideas, all, all of that surrounding religious life. But to, to ask questions, to find someone you can talk to about this, to learn as much as you can, to go visit. Like, discernment can also be this, like, whirlwind of just being in your brain. And, like, it requires action. Like, you have to go and visit sisters um, to be around it, to see what it's like. Um, like, you don't know if you can marry someone without going on a date, you know, it's not like it's like, you have to, you have to inquire about these things. So definitely like searching. Um, but also at the same time, like first and foremost, letting God lead in prayer, like being grounded in prayer. Um, because God will bring you to where he wants you. So there can also be this fear of like, I don't know if God, um, is holding out on me if he's not gonna to bring me somewhere if um you know if it's not gonna be what i want like that's that's not real like that's not how god works either like he will fulfill all of your desires like just letting him guide you he will put the community in front of you to yeah. just to follow in that sense to not be afraid now you mentioned community and i think this is something a lot of young women have no concept of what is it like to live as you know, a young woman or 
as the sisters age as an old woman in community um, with so many people from, you know, sisters from different backgrounds, um, different ages, different um, spiritualities. How does that community life work and what, what's that experience like? I could say that I wouldn't still be here if it wasn't for my community. Like your community upholds you, purifies you, challenges you, um, is your, your support. It's, it's your family, you know, and especially our community. Uh, we really have that family aspect because our mother foundress was a mom and she, by the time she was my age, 24, she was widow. She was a widow. Her husband died and she lost her eldest, uh, she lost her eldest child, her son. Um, and so she like cared for her daughter. She, um, knew what it meant to like be a mother. And she really wanted that in her community. And so family aspects like is so important, especially with our sisters, because you, you need each other. Like you don't become a saint. You don't become holy by yourself. Like we need a church community to, to worship and, um, guide each other on our path. We need uh, a priest, a spiritual director to hear God's voice. It, it requires like the cross. You have your personal relationship with God, but then you also have your relationship with the world. Like how I treat others is how I treat God. Like it's all connected. And so our community life, like I, in the beginning, just personally, like I had a little like a hesitation because I was like, I don't know, you know, these people. And, um, I, I was used to living my own life in college and I really had to learn like, and I did learn thanks be to God. And I'm continuing to learn that like, this is my family. These are my, these are my sisters and we love each other and we're there for each other for everything. And we have to challenge each other to grow. Um, but we're, we're always there for each other. And it's, it's not easy. I mean, family life is not always easy. Um, you, you see each other's highest moments, but you also see each other's weakest moments, but then also learning what love means through that is loving people for who they are and not who you expect them to be or, um, learning your own weaknesses and accepting that. And you just become face to face with reality in such a deep way in entering religious life and information. Um, it's, it's really a great gift. What are some of the things that people wouldn't expect in, you know, community life? Like, <clears throat> does a sister take your coffee cup and leave it somewhere where, where you, you get irritated? What are some things that are maybe difficult, but, you know, humorously so, but things that are get, take getting used to? Everyone has a different way of doing something. So you just, you got to yeah. learn to, to work together. Um, and then, I mean, you learn what annoys you and it might not be even a big deal, you know, or like you're, um, even like, it has really opened my eyes to how I think and the way I think might not always be right. You know, like how I receive something might not be how someone intends. Mm -hmm. Um, this is kind of, I mean, not humorous, but just real, you know, um, learning that I'm not, uh, the center of the world <laughs> and yeah. that like we're all we're all living in you know around Jesus yeah it's mm -hmm. it's crazy how how similar it is to being married you know mm -hmm. and uh, becoming you're going from independent to interdependent uh, so you're now a unit together and um, you know, my wife came from a very different background that I did. Uh, we have very different spiritualities. And so like, yeah, it's kind of like the same thing, you know, where you're, you're just like, wow, why would you do it this way? And then she's like, well, why would you do it this way? And I'm like, oh, okay. We're, we're like two worlds apart just coming together and it's still going on. even 12 years after marriage, we're still learning about each other and 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 again like you said just building each other up in our faith right walking with us as you know helping me as a father you know by being a mother you know um caring for the soul of the other and and forgiving each other it's just yes it's, uh, that's a big one. and the only way that you it, this is even possible is because jesus is at the center of it you know otherwise i i'm yeah. not happy and goodbye you know like yeah. it's you make a vow, you make a promise and you, you make a choice every day to like work together, you know, and yeah. Jesus 
at the center of that. And he gives you the strength and everything that you need to, to continue. And you have the greatest joys that you could ever imagine. Yeah. Uh, Amazing. (laughs) You ever get like, you guys on the street a lot. I mean, are you just in schools? Like are you guys out there like shopping at the, you know, like do do you, you ever encounter people and they're just like, what's going on with you? Yes. Like they don't even know. We take walks a lot around our neighborhood and we get the people taking selfies and they try and be like, oh, you don't see me taking one. We see you taking one. (laughs) (laughs) You want a picture with us? Just go ahead and ask. Um, But we definitely get a lot of questions and that's an opportunity for evangelization of like, I didn't know sisters still existed. You know, I thought that was a thing of long ago. Um, We get questions and just being able, some people are just like, can you just pray for me? Because I'm going through a lot right now. And to just give them a sign that God is present, that he sees you, that he knows you, that he loves you. Like that's, that's why, you know, we have, we've given our lives. We wear this habit as a sign of heavenly realities here on earth, you know? So just like we get so many questions and um, just to be there for people to show that God loves them and that God is there is, it's been really awesome. Well, you do the, you do the, you do the bonfires or the fires and s'mores every Friday night outside there, right? Yes, we twice yeah. with our Sidarian friars who are here also at the parish. We get together on Friday nights. And then we invite young women too who are discerning and just show them, you know, like we're, we're people and we <laughs> love God and, you know, this is, this is a great. Now you mentioned that people, when they see you in your habit, they're like, oh, I didn't know sisters still existed. And one of the things that I've noticed, and all the, I've, all the numbers will support this, is that the religious, the women's religious orders that's, that wear habits are the ones experiencing growth, the ones that tend towards, um, I guess, I don't, I don't want to say more traditional, but more um, focused on, you know, I, I guess traditional ways. They, they seem to attract more young women. Do you think that that is something that you found in your discernment? Yes, I, I didn't know the intricacies of um, habit, not habit, all of this stuff. I Like God really, like I said, led me into this community and I'm very grateful. But also like, yeah, I want to be assigned to the world. Like um, it might be, you know, uh, uh, like at first a vain desire or whatever, but it's also so humbling that through me, like God wants to reveal himself to the world. Like I want everyone to know that God is real, that God does exist, that God is so present. Um, and he desires to encounter every single person and to be that witness in the world. Like, I, I really think that like young women also want to be that. So they, they want to, um, to be that sign to when you love someone, like you want your whole world to, to reveal that love. And like you wear a ring because you're married. Like this is, this is our representation of, that we're married to God. Yeah. My, my grandpa, he was a, he was a simple guy. You know, he was the embodiment of Chesterton that the most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and his ordinary wife and ordinary children. And, you know, he was, you know, an incredibly smart and, and intelligent person, but he was, he lived very simply. And in his mind, he said the, the, the worst thing that he saw in his lifetime, because he was born in 1920, uh, you know, 1920s and lived all the way to the 2018. So the, the thing that affected the church the most is when sisters stopped wearing habits. That, that sign of the nun, the sister in the community, no longer there. He said that was the biggest thing that he noticed after Vatican II or in 100, almost 100 years of being a Catholic, that that he thought had the most impact on a cascading effect in the life of Catholics. And I always thought that was really interesting that when you don't have that, that, that physical representation, that that um, example of the habit that that sets a, a woman apart, that it makes it harder for young women to identify that as a specific vocation, and it creates a cascading effect that decreases vocations. That's why, again, I think the numbers show Ed, that all the women's religious uh, communities that are experiencing growth almost to the one is they are all habited, and it's just a beautiful sight to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wants to show the world. I mean, like she's making this sacrifice for her life. She's experiencing this great joy. She wants to show the world, this is who I am. Yep. I'm living my life for God. I mean, that's that's not wasting time. You know what I mean? When you put on a habit, it's 
It's kind of like, hey, come talk to me. I want to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but the sisters, they still have fun. I mean, their Instagram is one of the best Instagram accounts to follow. If you're, if you're Catholic and you're, you're on Instagram, their account is great. They have a lot of fun and you can see their life. So if you're a young woman who's considering discernment, go follow them on Instagram and see what their life is actually like. I think it'll surprise you and fill you with some joy that you would want to experience. And, and if you're just a Catholic, you know, a man or a married woman or any, you know, whatever your vocation is, it's a joy to follow them on Instagram. There's so much junk on social media. There's so many negative people or so many self-centered people or just kind of the unsavory side of social media. Their account is wholesome and fun. And it's the kind of thing that makes social media worth having. So <laughs> definitely, definitely follow them on there. And sister, would you tell us where we could, where people could find you there and where they could find more about discerning with you, the website and everything? Yes. Yeah, so our like main hub is mercedariansisters.org. That's beautiful our web website. Thanks. I wonder who yeah. designed it. <laughs> That's people help us. Uh, no, we're very thankful for the Ryans and all their help, Fuzadi, everybody. Yeah. Um, so they helped us design this incredible website where we have more information about formation, about discernment. Uh, we also have a Facebook, a YouTube account, Twitter, Instagram, and just like those are all the places that you can, you can reach us, you can encounter us, and hopefully encounter Jesus also. Yeah, and I'll make sure I put links to all of that. And I know there's some... Um some discernment guides that the Mercedarian sisters put out. I also put a link to that so that if, if you are considering discerning or know somebody is, uh, you can send them this link. It's a really nice uh, digital download. You can go through and, and learn the steps to discerning. Or, or if you're just more curious, you know? Yeah. Please, like, even just the yeah. fact that, like, you're not discerning, you might be in your vocation, but sharing that with other people. Um, if you're a parent, like, teaching your children about vocations like that. I mean, there's uh, even a, a difficulty with discernment and parents not being supportive. Like it's, it's such a beautiful gift of, of life and vocation. And so just like to be educated and to share with your families and learn, you know, all these important things is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the, I think we've worked with a lot of uh, religious orders and vocations directors. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks is parents saying, well, I don't want my kid to be a priest or a sister. That's weird. They're not going to be happy. But every parent wants their kid to be happy. And that's what they want them to be when they grow up. And chances are that if your kid will, you know, wants to discern, that's how they're going to be truly be happy. So more parents should encourage their children to discern and at least ask that question and understand that that is a viable option for true happiness that this world typically can't get. And, and also too, I would also say that the, the level of discernment that goes on in our world today is not, not very present. And so just learning how to discern, taking time, going away and, and learning your faith and praying and then just entering into a discernment period will greatly benefit anybody spiritually because these are these are great tools and gifts to learn where it is that God wants you and, and how he wants to fulfill your life and, and and be a part of it and be close and intimate with you you know I spent two years in seminary those were the best years of my life I mean they were you know amazing I thought I was going down to, to meet all these older people and all this stuff there's a bunch of young guys and they were throwing elbows on the basketball court I'm like what I, this is not what I thought you know so yeah, just discernment as a whole, getting into a community, it's, it's discernment. It's not jumping off the ship and just putting a habit on, right? Yeah, you don't want to get in a basketball game with the Mercedarian sisters, though. They will box you out. I mean, they're like the 1980s Detroit Pistons. It is. <laughs> oh, well, uh, sister, I mean, really, thank you, uh, you know, for all the yeah. times that you showed us hospitality and inviting us to the convent and for coming on here today and and talking about discernment and, and your journey um, for filling in for father rich who he discerned out on his birthday to take a day off that he well deserves. So happy birthday, father rich from all happy of us. Yeah. And uh, you know, sister um, just really grateful to, to know you, to be able to work with you and support you. And then also uh, to have been able to pray with you and, and have you on this episode. It, it means a lot yeah. to us. Yeah. Thank you. 
also means a lot here also. Yeah. We'll continue to pray for you guys and see you down the road somewhere, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. If ever you're in Cleveland. <laughs> I'm going to bring my daughter up there. Yes, come pray. Sure. Spend time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. God bless you, sister. Thanks again. Bye.